Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Threat Talk. I'm your host, Bob Hansman, and today's episode is titled, Did You Fall for April Fools? Now, while officially recognized by only 18 countries, globally, publications, celebrities, and others choose this time to play tricks on other people and attempt to fool them. But every day is April Fools for cyber criminals who use social engineering and some new advanced tricks in their attacks. So to help us understand the recent shifts in this part of the threat landscape specifically, and some viable security countermeasures, we have with us today, Drew McFarlane, a senior product manager at Infoblox, who drives several initiatives around threat intelligence. Uh, welcome, Drews. It's good to be here. Thank you, Bob. Well, no problem. And uh, wow, you know, one of the reasons we really have you here is because this topic, um, it delves into some specific aspects. I mean, security is no longer just a single topic. It's There's so many different aspects we need to understand. And you are kind of uniquely focused on the threat intelligence side, but you're not with a threat research team. You're on the product side. So how does what you do complement or expand what a threat research team would do for a security vendor? Well, uh, you could say I'm sort of like the threat researcher whisperer. I'm uh, a threat research team typically um, requires a steady stream of telemetry. They they really need a lot of data to be able to to look at and analyze to try to figure out what uh, you know basically what the the emerging threats are. Probably shouldn't use that expression, but you know, uh, looking at the at the different threats that are uh, are starting to show up from around the world. And you know what I do is number one, I, I make sure that the that the, our product uh, is providing them the the data that they need in order to be able to do what they need, uh, as well as to work with the different relationships to make sure that they're they've gotten everything that uh, that they require that we aren't collecting ourselves. I also try to figure out how do we take that threat research and provide that out to our customers as well uh, in the way that is the most useful. So you know. You know from a basic standpoint of making sure that we block the things that we need to block, but also making sure that we're presenting the information so that we're providing the context for a very busy uh, incident response uh, organization that needs to try to triage and figure out what's important, most important to go and address. Yeah, I think that's probably been one of the biggest shifts in the last five or six years is almost everybody was focused on block, 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 and protect. Yeah. And, um, you know, only really big companies had to have an incident response team, but now it's pretty much, you know, everybody's got to do it. And the tools were too sophisticated um, for anybody but somebody with 10 years of threat investigation research to, to use. So um, it's great to see that that stuff coming down. But I want to talk about a recent aspect of this because um, there's other things that I, I know about what you're doing that I want to want to bring out. And it's specifically to um, May or March 18th, there was a breach in the California State Controller's Office. Um, it was covered by Dark Reading, Brian Krebs. It was everywhere. Uh, despite all that coverage, there's not a whole lot of detail. So I wanted to get your perspective on some, you know, some suspicions on what might have happened. Essentially, it looks like one person fell for an email. Yeah. Um, uh, they just clicked on a link. So it was that type, you know, traditional fish. Um, but it was to the point where they actually ended up on a website where they were supposed to log into their email system. And it was a fake site. So yeah. they ended up on a fake Office 365 site where they logged in and gave the bad guys their credentials. Um, and uh, for those who aren't familiar with that particular breach, they then took all the data in that person's 
Office 365 account, which included files. And they then knew a lot about the other 9,000 employees. And then they started targeting, very highly targeted, because they had people's social security numbers. They had all this stuff to make themselves look legitimate. Now, we don't know what those other emails were, but those were the ones that tricked people into opening files, getting malware. It That's where the damage occurred. But yeah. it all started with one fish, which I... You know, it could have been a consumer fish. People are are getting, I get consumer spam and, and phishing in my email all the time, even though it's, you know, a business account. But definitely that second wave, extremely highly targeted, almost customized. And I know you've been doing some work in that. <laughs> so today's podcast, I'm going to try and, and dig out some of the things that uh, you've been doing there. Yeah. So um, for that second wave, if you were an attacker and you had all that information about a company, um, or in this case, a government agency where you know the people and a lot of details about them, how specific could you make your attack? Well, and it's actually kind of interesting that you frame it that way as well, because you, you actually see a, an entire spectrum of how targeted attacks you know, can end up being from you know, the, the most you know, you know, sort of the, the broadest sense for it's a, a typical drive-by, you'll actually see... Um, you know, you know, things in that category, you actually get like the, the Nigerian prince type of attacks. And people often wonder, like, how would anybody actually click on one of those things? It's so obviously a fake. Well, they're actually taking advantage of that because what they want to do is they want to get past a degree of, uh, of any critical thinking. And if they have something that is so absurd that, uh, you know, that anybody would end up clicking on it, they know that once somebody's actually clicked on that, they can take them through the social engineering. These people are not exactly exhibiting a high degree of, uh, you know, of, of any sort of rational thought you know, process in there. On the, on the other extreme, you end up getting the highly targeted. Uh, and really, when, you, when it comes to these targeted attacks, it really comes down to one thing, and that is almost every security breach that you end up getting has something to do with inherent trust. What are you placing a high degree of trust in that you really shouldn't be? And, uh, and that might be, you know, I'm interacting with a, an organization that I thought was, was reputable and trustworthy. And, and you find out that you're not actually, you know, working with that, really, uh, with that organization. Or an individual, you see something coming from your boss and it's saying, I need you to click on this and let me know your thoughts before the meeting on Monday. There's a sense of urgency. There's a, a, a trustworthiness. Mm -hmm. It's the type of thing that you might actually end up getting from your, your employer and then you end up clicking on it. So once, once that first breach occurred, once that first person ended up uh, getting infected, they had a wealth of information. Yeah, they, number one, they were able to violate the, the, and, and imitate that one individual because he was, they were in his inbox. And then they had a lot of context to be able to figure out how do I craft targeted messages to these other people inside the organization to ultimately work my way through to exactly where you, know, you end up needing to go. Yeah. So it's about- If they're getting that kind of information where, you know, I mean, they've admitted they've gotten names, social security numbers and other confidential information. It's, they probably knew who's, who was your boss. Yeah. And so they could impersonate the boss. They could impersonate the person specifically that you, um, you know, do interactions with. And even if they didn't get your mailbox, yeah. they can forge so that it looks like it came from the boss's email. Yeah even though it didn't, I mean, we, that technique's been around for a while. So yeah, no, I can see how getting access to that first wave of information 
Um, I mean, and they've been talking, we've been talking about this for a long time. Yeah. Attackers, particularly in a corporate government attack, will do their homework. But once they get access to somebody, somebody's specific account, they just got a whole new textbook yeah. with all sorts of information. Yeah, and, and you think about, you know, like if you've, you know, if you've infiltrated somebody's inbox, that obviously gives you a treasure trove of information. Uh, a lot of people end up you know, having more than, like if you've violated or, and you've infiltrated that specific account, uh, if that's an exchange server, you know, it's not just your inbox, it's your calendar, it's you know, access to the entire uh, company directory sometimes, what the organizational structure ends up being. So you can get very detailed notes about, you know, not only, you know, what is that person, where are they inside the organization, who do I need to go after, but, you know, who are they spending time with, who are they having meetings with, you know, they, there's an, uh, an incredible uh, treasure trove of information that you can get once you've gotten that first foothold. Well, in the meeting aspect, you just raised something I hadn't thought about, but I mean, with, you know, we talked about Zoom bombing and things like that in the news a lot. Now they know when you've got a meeting and if they go, that looks like that would be a juicy meeting with lots yeah. of stuff I might want to know. There's a chance they could start attending meetings that yeah. you know, originally you hadn't thought about. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, it, again, you have to, you have to think of like, once that person has that foothold, there's a whole bunch of information that you end up, uh, you know, potentially um, you know, having to exfiltrate. You look at uh, another another case, and we don't we don't know for sure how that patient zero ended up happening in the sunburst uh, uh, event that happened earlier. It's it's very likely that it ended up being a you know some sort of a, a targeted phishing attack uh, for that first one, but we didn't, we're not really sure. But once they got in there, uh, they started you know, uh, harvesting. Uh, login credentials for uh, for cloud services, and you know, once you have that, and you can, you know, even if they completely expunge all the malware that's on a system, if you've left a back door in there, they can just go back in and recreate all the accounts that they need yeah. to be able to have access. So again, it's you know, once somebody's in, it's very dangerous. And so you know, I mm -hmm. uh, I like to think of you know, like with a lot of these different types of events, um, there's the the common model that people think about. There's the MITRE kill chain, which is you know. Any any attack ends up uh, going through very many, you know, a lot of different stages, and you know uh, you know once you, you know, there's a reconnaissance you know, there's a reconnaissance stage. Once you've actually infiltrated, there's all this stuff that you can do for lateral spread to try to you know, basically make sure that you end up getting a foothold in, and uh, it becomes very difficult to eradicate. So the earlier in that kill chain that you can stop things. Uh, you know, the the better. If you if you're blocking oh, yeah. the the call to the you're you're blocking the download of the malicious malware, that's great. If you could block going to the exploit that's making you download it, that's better. If you're blocking the spam that's making the you know, providing that link, that's all the better still. And that's one of the things that I like about you know uh, one of the techniques that we're talking about uh, potentially today is lookalike domains, where you're you know looking for people who are trying to uh, you know trying to take advantage of that inherent trust, you know, that, you know, basically imitating an organization that you, uh, that you potentially, uh, you know, has a high reputation uh, and, you know, trying to make sure that that, uh, that an individual thinks that they're interacting with a, a, a group that they actually think that they trust, but they don't. So, you know, that's, that's, you know, really, once you start looking at these lookalike domains, you, know, you look at sites that haven't even necessarily launched an attack yet, if you can block it back there, you're blocking it at the very earliest planning stages of, a, of an attack.
Yeah. And so if they'd been able to do something to maybe prevent that initial click, none of the rest of it would have happened. Again, exactly. it starts with one phishing. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up the multiple stages because I continue to be surprised how many people I talk with that they just think, well, you get an email, it's got an attachment, you click on it. And next thing you know, you're infected. Um, actually, a whole lot of things happen in there. Yeah. Because um, even, you know, there was the email that could have been blocked. Then the the user could have like moused over the link. We you know that training's been around to the point where even you know um, most people's grandmothers now know that they can mouse over a link and and see where it's really going. It says you know to my bank, but it's actually to some cryptographic mumble jumbo of letters and numbers that you know obviously was the only name left in that domain service. Uh, yeah. But all the good names are gone, right? Um, but now. They're making it so that when you mouse over that link, and um, there was a recent um, uh, real one where Adobe, you know, Adobe is Adobe, but they have points of presence all around the world. And so people in certain Asia Pacific countries, maybe the nearest one to them would be in Korea. Yeah. And so they're used to going to Adobe KR, but there was a fake one setup that was adobekr.com. Yeah. Uh, listeners, do not go there. Okay? <laughs> We're professionals. Do not try this at home. Um, but, uh, you know, that's an example of one that if it had been in an email, even if you mouse over it, it says adobekr.com and could have fooled people. So with the lookalikes, um, it's going beyond just putting the boss's fake name, putting the name of the bank, but the details behind it have to sync. They're getting much more sophisticated to respond to all the measures we're taking. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this is the. And when you're looking for you know, for that type of behavior, you know, there's really um, three major categories of, of techniques that you'll often find people trying to impersonate other websites. There's, uh, you know, there's you know, the technique where you take a well-known um, you know, domain name like Adobe.com and maybe you're adding a prefix or a suffix to it that makes it look like it's still from that organization. So maybe you- Like, Adobe, like payments at adobe.com. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So if, if you're sending, if, if you have an organization that has regular um, you know, business relationships with Adobe and, uh, and you're part of the accounts payable and you see something coming from you know, uh, payments.adobe.com, you're more likely to trust that link thinking that it is, uh, you know, it's a reputable organization. Then there's another yeah. category where they will try their best to make the, the, uh, the domain look identical to the domain that you're trying to do. So with Adobe, you know, they may take the, the O in Adobe and replace that for, with a, a zero, uh, for example. So in, in, if you're just kind of looking at it, uh, it's gonna kind of still look like the domain that you trust, but obviously it's going to a completely different location. Uh, and then finally, yep. what you end up having, and uh, this is you know, one of the more tricky ones as well, is you have what we call a typo squat, which is you know, uh, looking for common typing, you know, like when you're typing something out in the keyboard, you know, what is a common misspelling of a, you know, of a very popular domain? Uh, and you know, maybe on the, you know, if it's uh, uh, Adobe, you know, we're really picking on them badly here. We should probably use oh, it for Disney. Disney, yeah. Pick on Disney. I remember one that a typo squat that was a Disnet. Yes. Because typing Disney, a lot of people hit the T instead of the Y. Precisely. And so somebody got the license for Disnet.com. Yeah. So you know, doing that, you you can you can often pick up. I mean, that's not really so much of a uh, 
of a targeted attack, but you know, that, that's basically you're casting a wider net of people who could potentially end up hitting that. And again, you, know, you, you think about all of the all the advice that the cybersecurity team is going to give you, they're going to say, you know, like, don't trust the link. You know, go in and type things manually. Well, if you've gone in and you've typed Disnet you know, on your own and you're the one who made that screw up, mm -hmm. you know, there's no indication you're where you thought that you were when you're actually uh, in a completely different location that's been designed to uh, completely impersonate that website to collect your credentials. Well, and there's another one on that, uh, that advice about, oh, just type it in. Um, I've seen some where the attack used, um, well, let's come up with somebody that, uh, you know, um, has two names like uh, PayPal. Now, this one's not a good one um, because everybody would pretty much know this one. It's very common. But imagine that you got one and the link was to pay-pal. Yeah. And so the person got this email, looked at it, so, oh, I'm not going to click on that link. So they rolled up their <clears throat> browser and they typed pay-pal. Yeah. So... You know, if you aren't even really truly paying attention, you might type it exactly the way they want you to and not the real one. So, uh, again, it's, um, uh, you know, it's it's just getting more complex. But again, we keep saying it's getting more complex. I want to clarify that for the listener, because some of this goes back into the 80s, but they're just doing it in new ways. It's like the Nigerian prince uh, fishing scam. That thing can be traced back to the 1600s when it was something done with shipping um, back in the old days. Uh, so they're just taking old techniques and twisting yeah. them into new, 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 new methods and applying them in new ways. But we've been talking rather general here, and I want to get more into the very targeted because the PayPal's and things like that, I count on even on my personal computer. Um, they do some URL filtering for me and the, they know the most common fake names for PayPal and they've got those things blocked. But what about when it starts getting much more targeted, um, like in this uh, comptroller's um, situation, um, you know, there's some other ways they could be impersonating other agencies that the comptroller's office might work with where they can set up fake URLs for though. That's not something they're going to spam to everybody, yeah. even in California. Yeah. They're using it setting it up just for this specific attack. Now, I happen to know you've done some technology in that area, and I'd like you to explain yeah. the threat that made you even think that, hey, you know what? I need to get my product guys, my engineers yeah. working on this problem. What was the problem you saw? Well, and, and again, back to your thing, you know, like the, the lookalike things uh, is, is something that ends up, you know, it's been happening for centuries. Uh, there is a very interesting, and unfortunately, you know, um, you know, getting anybody to go on the record with, you know, oh yeah, we have this uh, particular issue, can sometimes be uh, challenging, we'll just say. But there was a, a case where we saw that was really fascinating, because you, you think about, you know, like anybody who's listening to this podcast is going to already have a degree of sensitivity to what the different types of attacks are. You know, they're often they have good defenses around their organization, and that's great. But the people who are attacking, again, you know, they're going down a social engineering standpoint. They're not going to, you know, throw all their attacks right at the at the large defenses that you have. They're going to try to figure out how they can get around that Maginot line, so to speak, uh, and attack you from a flank that you aren't uh, uh, anticipating. Uh, so that ended up happening at a uh, at a realtor that uh, we were we were expecting. They actually had a pretty good. Uh, you know, security uh, footprint inside of their you know, sort of ecosystem set up. They had all the right, you know, they were doing all the right things. And uh, uh, and it's actually, you know, for you know, real estate organizations, it's it, it's not a, a type of organization that you think of as being a, 
a prime target for attacks. But when you think about what they do, they're dealing with a lot of PII, a lot of you know, private information. They're doing dealing with the million dollar homes. Exactly. Transactions high, go through them. precisely high dollar transactions. It's uh, it's actually you know, it's it's something that that they end up going for that you wouldn't expect. But you know, once you actually you know think about it, it actually makes a lot of sense. And they didn't go straight at the realtor. What they did is they knew uh, that the this uh, real estate agency, uh, this real estate organization, had a sandwich shop on the other side of the street. And this was a small mom and pop shop. They had, uh, you know, this was right at the beginning of COVID, where people were were starting to, you know, like you weren't allowed to sit down. So they created a portal to. Uh, uh, you know, to allow you to do online ordering of your sandwich, go there, pick it up, and 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 run off with it. Uh, and somebody ended up impersonating that small mom and pop store, knowing that that organization, that you know, that small little sandwich shop, was never going to have the same defenses as a uh, as a uh, you know, this real estate agency who was multi-state and re reasonably large. Mm -hmm. So they were able to you know, they started setting up a campaign to try to do that. And uh, and you know, luckily we we discovered that we we knew what was going on. And again, going back onto that kill chain standpoint, uh, you know, you want to catch things as early as possible. We were able to to discover and block that attack before the campaign even went underway. We we're able to stop you know, because they they ended up looking for not just their organization's domains and what things they were trying to protect from an intellectual property standpoint, but all of their uh, you know, all the, from an extranet standpoint, all the organizations that they ended up doing a lot of business with, which ended up including this, uh, the sandwich shop across the street. So, you know, by doing so that, they sorry. I wanted to understand it. So instead of like impersonating a paypal.com, they were impersonating mom and pop sandwich shop.com. Exactly. Uh, knowing, wow. and again, and you know, what was the target? We we're pretty sure the, the actual target was the, uh, this realtor across the street yeah. that uh, that frequented that that shop. So people who are trying, you know, they're they're in it for the long haul. They're not doing the you know the drive by. They're not doing the the the, the you know the carpet bombing campaigns where they're just trying to get everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, they were trying very targetedly to try to get this one organization. And there that you have the time to execute some of the, you know something like this where there can be a lot more research that goes into it. And you can be a lot slower, and and they're you know, once they try to get in again, you know, like you want to you want to stop mm -hmm. these these types of people before they get in because once they get in, they're really difficult to exfiltrate, you know, to get everything Definitely. out. Yeah. But I'm so I'm assuming on the portal things that you can do if you have a portal is you know first thought everybody is oh you create a fake website you deliver malware through it. Yeah. But in this case, I'm thinking through. So if I'm I order through online places all the time. My ID at almost all of them is my email address. Yeah. And in this case, I've just given those attackers my email address. Yeah. And they also now know I shop at that place because that's how I ended up on the portal. So now they can send fake emails to me. Yeah. Pretending to be that place. That's true. Directly to me and say, hey, yeah. you know, you came on this date at this time and ordered this sandwich. I mean, they have the yeah. details. Yeah. Um, and, and you, and and, you don't know, you're like, luckily yeah. we were able to stop this before the campaign really got underway. But, you know, something as simple as click here to download the uh, the menu, you know, today's specials, yeah. you know, is, is yeah. potentially enough interaction to get uh, that initial uh, compromise delivered. And then once you get one person, yeah. as I said, mm -hmm. it can spread out and you end up having everybody else. So, 
you know, potentially save them from a, a, a very large degree of, uh, of, you know, of heartache going down the, the, going down the pike by, by stopping that attack before the campaign even really had a, a chance to get successfully underway. Well, and I can think of, you know, even if, it, if you didn't catch it there, as we've been talking about, these attacks have multiple stages. Um, they also have muscle, uh, some of the first ones, they try to keep them innocent so you can't detect them. Yeah. So if that first thing is, hey, guess what? We're just going to put up a fake interface, get your email address, and then send the order through like normal. Yeah. There's nothing malicious that, you know, that you would really detect. Yeah. So that's one thing. But then now they get your email address. So now they're sending you emails and then it's more targeted messaging, which your email spam and phishing filters, there's nothing in there because they're looking for the PayPal's. They're looking for the Bank of America's yeah. and those things. They're not looking for mom and pop sandwich shop.com. Exactly. That's going to get through a lot of the filters. So yeah, the targeted and, ones are going to get past those defenses. And when you think about like, you, you think about the, the more obvious uh, targets of, uh, you know, of a look like attack, you know, the Amazons, the Bank of America's and things like that. You know, those things are going to get discovered uh, you know, by organizations like us. And then, you know, we, we know that those things are bad and we're going to be able to put those into, uh, you know, into block lists and threat intelligence feeds, et cetera, to make sure that you're yep. blocking those things. But, you know, nobody has the resources to look for every single small mom and pop that's out there. So having a system that that can be targeted to the individual, you know, target, targeted to the organization and what things are you actually interested in, you know, that, that actually gives you the capability to protect on all fronts. Yeah, because I, I mean, there's so many different ways that they would trick us before, you know, puny code, which is really interesting. And you mentioned that where they put like an O, that's not really puny code. That's where they're just using another symbol in your character set. But now with puny code um, to recognize international sets, they can yeah. find others. Yeah. Um, well, swap into acrylic like languages, et cetera. And, and, and the lookalikes that you end up getting there are going to be really difficult to visually you know, differentiate against what the original domain was. Yeah, um, I was surprised I even found Cherokee out there. Um, and, uh, you know, where I live, I'm really familiar with the Navajos. That's a fairly huge Indian nation. Cherokee nation is is not that big. Uh, I wouldn't think that'd be on the radar of an international language set. <laughs> but they've got so many to choose from that, yeah, even though I do, do know um, when I looked it up for info blocks, there were 16 million different variations most of them looked weird and they'd be absolutely, it's not like they would work. Yeah. <laughs> um, they really looked odd, but there's enough that are close. But in this case, we're talking about where they're used, they could be using the legitimate character set, but just adding a prefix, you know, like invoices.adobe.com yeah. where, well, that's not what Adobe does, you know, and then they hide the rest of it. There's so many ways to get around, but, um, this is all common more in the consumer type thing. We do see it in, in the corporate, but what, what are the defenses here? We, we're talking about just UR filters that have to get more intelligence and firewalls that have to get more intelligence. Yeah, there's a, there's a, you know, obviously with, with a lot of these things and, and if somebody is, is using a, uh, you know, a lookalike that's reasonably well, you know, well known for, you know, that looks like your Amazon or Bank of America, you know, that obviously is going to end up going into, you know, a number of people's threat intelligence feeds and, and you're going to be reasonably safe from those things. Uh, what ends up happening a lot is, you know, you, you want to, like I said, you want to catch these, uh, these domains as they, as they show up. So, 
you know, we have a we have a system where we are monitoring for newly registered, newly active domains all the time. Uh, and with each one of those things, we're we're tr you know, trying to scour those for you know things that that look like they're trying to impersonate well-known uh, well-known devices. So we're trying to make sure that we're keeping ahead of the curve by you know every day going through you know all the new domains that that have suddenly uh, become registered or or you know, suddenly become active because again there's a there's a difference between newly <laughs> registered versus newly active. Sometimes if uh, if the attacker is sophisticated enough, they'll buy yeah. a, a domain and just let it sit and languish for a month or two months or three yeah, months. But mom and pop. Yeah. Yeah. Mom and pop sandwich.com is probably not something they bought a few years ago, just in case. Exactly. Exactly. So you know, <laughs> it that, show up as a new domain. Exactly. So in that circumstance, you're able to see that as it, as it first goes live, it's like, Hey, that that looks a little bit odd to me. So yeah, uh, being able to do that, uh, you know, basically scouring and, and cleansing the, uh, you know, any of these newly associated domains, to see if it's anything that is relevant to your organization. So do you just block them because they're new or or just put warnings on them? I realize the block, yeah. warn, or, or let it through is a policy decision by the customer, actually. Yeah. But you're providing that information. What information are you providing that might actually help them to know this I should block, yeah. this I should simply watch yeah. and alert on? So, so I mean, uh, obviously, you know, so uh, yeah, from a product standpoint, uh, we allow the customer to go in and say, yeah, these are the, the domains that, that we think are specifically important to us. These are the, the domains that we're, uh, that we're interacting with a lot or, or the ones that, that you know, have a potential, in this case, the mom and pop uh, sandwich shop, uh, .com. Uh, you, know, you can plug that in. And then we're gonna be monitoring specifically for the customer about anything that looks like it's trying to impersonate any of those domains that are important to you. Then there's you know, also that that newly active and newly uh, you, know, you know newly registered domains, uh, and and that ends up being kind of like a policy or you know, a decision that depends on on what kind of you know how how strict you want your uh, your organization's uh, security policy. So th there's a there's an argument to be said that you know like just because something is new doesn't necessarily mean that uh, that it's malicious. You know, Amazon.com was new for a little while before it became one yeah. of the more common uh, uh, domains in the, on the internet. But the flip side to that is if something is really new, you can possibly put that in quarantine for a week or two because the likelihood that something that just got registered is gonna be mission critical for an organization is pretty low. So there's a lot of people that do end up quarantining any sort of new domains just to give it an opportunity to see, okay, now that this thing is live, let's give it a little while to see whether or not there's anything malicious. And we have the ability to to kind of go through, and we're we're constantly looking for malicious sites as well, uh, sort of tracing it back and and uh, and looking for malicious behavior and activity as well. So we have a lot that that goes into that. But yeah, you know, there 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 is that that school of thought that maybe just quarantining any of these newly uh, uh, active domains uh, might be a good technique just to get some of that low hanging fruit because the the risk yeah you know, the risk is that you're blocking something that's potentially benign. But the yeah you know, the counter to that is that the chances of that being very critical during those first couple of days. So yeah, let's let's quarantine it for 72 hours or a week or whatever whatever your policy is might be uh, might be appropriate for some organizations with a high degree of sensitivity.
Perfect. And boy, this is, uh, there's a lot of things that we had in our earlier conversation that I've made notes on that we haven't even had a chance to get to. So I'd just like to mention our listeners, we're about to, uh, to the end of our time here. If any of this is something you'd like to dig into more, uh, leave us a comment. We'll get back to you and, uh, and uh, or I should say, we'll get back to uh, putting this back on our schedule. Maybe do a follow-up with Drews because this, this can go a lot of different ways and is definitely uh, interesting on the social engineering front. But uh, Drews, I'd like to thank you for being with us. Thank you, Bob. It's been a pleasure to be here. And um, I'd like to thank to all of you for giving us some of your time. Join us next time as we continue our efforts to help you stay on top and ahead of cybersecurity on Threat Talk. <laughs>